Hello, my friends. Welcome to Let's Talk. My name is Shay Marville. I am the founder of OurMindIsCalm.com. I am an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a curator, a meditation teacher, and a mom. And I am also going through the wildness of this pandemic. I want to talk about the good things, the hard things, the sad things, and the great things. I want to talk about sustainability, healthcare, work, love, relationships, innovation, and technology. I hope you want to talk about those things too. And I hope that this space becomes a place that lifts us and helps us to think differently, to become stronger, to become more resilient, and to grow so that tomorrow we are stronger and we are better. So let's talk. I'm so excited to have you here. I, I'm so happy about the feedback, the good, the bad, the in-between. The fact is that people from around the world are listening to this podcast sharing it and subscribing. So please keep doing it. Please keep sharing your ideas with me. We are just getting started. I'm going to be introducing you to two very remarkable people and how I met them is really even more remarkable. Um, I'm going to be introducing you to Dr. Jane Salter, and Stephen Salter. The reason I know these two people, these two very special people, is because many years ago in 1978 and 79, their father was the physician who saved my life. He was a researcher, an innovator, a surgeon, and a specialist at Sick Children's Hospital in Toronto. You see, I had contracted a very strange infection while I was visiting family in Guyana. Well, I wasn't quite visiting. You know, it's hard as a newcomer in the first few years of life in a new country. And in 1978, my mom was having a tough time. She needed to work a lot of shifts as a nurse and she and her two older sisters had concocted this idea that it would be better for me to go and live with them in Guyana for a short period of time while mom built the economic base for the family. Of course, you know, this is not something my mother wanted. She had already had a separation with my older brother and sisters that was difficult and hard while she was going to nursing school and then working to send money back home and build a new life for us in Canada. And so it wasn't something she wanted to repeat. But Aunt Sheila and Aunt Elaine and my mom thought for a short period of time they would take me to Guyana and I would go to school there until I could come back home. Of course, this was devastating to me. I loved my aunts, but I loved my home in Toronto far more than I did the idea of going back home 
Guyana was no longer my home. Snowflakes and packing snow, macaroni and cheese and TV dinners, <laughs> the Carol Burnett show, the Brady Bunch and the Flintstones, my brother Michael, my sisters, Ellen and Cecile, oh, my mom, you know, our little apartment in Thorncliffe Park, our trips up to Owen Sound to see my aunt and uncle, you know, playing out in the forest amongst the trees, the different seasons. That was my life. That was my home. But, of course, I was a child, so I went. And don't get me wrong, I was going to a really good life. I lived with my Aunt Elaine. Her nickname was Lover, and she was so deserving of that name. She was so kind and adoring to me. And she created this safe place where she had this incredible, incredible garden. She had a green thumb with every vegetable and fruit. I just, things that I had never even seen, ginnips and star fruits, tamarind trees, and, and lots and lots of callaloo and lettuce, pigeon peas, ah, oh, pigeon peas and tamarind trees. That's what I remember of my time there. Guyana was this incredible, eclectic, hot place where, you know, when you walked off the plane, the heat was like a blanket. It was full of all these different scents and different types of people. And it was beautiful and, and exciting and dirty and smelly. There were little shops, roti shops, and ladies who, who made these, these balls that are called palauri out of split peas on the streets. There were chickens to chase and fields of sugar cane. There was, you know, the coconuts that have the jelly, the soft white jelly on the inside. And my Aunt Sheila, she was this sophisticated, chain-smoking, you know, big-bosomed woman, you know, her bosoms entered the room before she did, and she was tall, one of the tallest women in Guyana, one of the first police women in Guyana at one point. She could cook anything and make anything, and my Aunt Sheila and my Aunt Elaine took great pride in looking after their beloved sister's last baby. And Guyana was a time that was filled with stories for me, a coming-of-age time in so many ways. But it was also a time at that early age of eight where I was to experience a traumatic event that would change my life. I contracted a terrible infection and became deathly ill within, you know, 24 hours. Within 24 hours on one day, I, if I were sick before I had not known, I developed a fever 
over 101. I developed um, terrible pains in my stomach. And worst of all, I was unable to walk. I was rushed to the hospital in Georgetown and then rushed by plane to a hospital in Trinidad. My aunt had spent much of her life in Trinidad and knew the place well. Her children were all born there and she knew that I would get the best care there. But sadly, I became more sick in Trinidad. And even though the doctors had diagnosed me with this infection called osteomyelitis, they couldn't find the exact origin of the infection and operated on my leg in order to save me, but operated on the wrong side of my leg, on the wrong bone. I became more sick. I required a blood transfusion that I got in some incredible miracle with a match by my Uncle Ken, my aunt's husband. And at this point, my mother had arrived on her white horse, so clear and unafraid. She'd already talked to the Canadian embassy about moving me back to Canada. She'd taken a loan from the Royal Bank of Canada. She was already certain before she arrived that whatever the physicians would say to her, her answer was, we will transport her home. And she was confronted with this terrible truth. The doctors told her, if you move your daughter, she will die. Her leg needs to be amputated. This is the only course of action for her to survive. And my mother asked them, how much time do you think she has before there's no turning back? And they told her, well, she'd already had the plane booked, the flight booked. And she made sure that I was transported back to Canada. And I remember waking in and out of sweat and hallucinations at the back of the plane where they had made a sort of makeshift bed holding her hand. And when we arrived in Toronto at Pearson Airport, right on the tarmac, there was the ambulance waiting. And with its fury, the ambulance drove to Sick Kids Hospital on University Street. And there, another team, another team was waiting for me. It was led by the chief of surgery at that time, a gentleman, and he was a gentleman, a physician, a surgeon, a specialist, a researcher, by the name of Dr. William Salter. And that night, as they tried to assess me and take blood and understand what was happening as we waited for a porter to come and take me to the x-ray room to get the actual location of the infection in the bone. Dr. Salter grew impatient. And if I hadn't written it down years later, if my mother hadn't told me what an act 
of kindness and compassion this was, I would think it was not true. But for some strange reason, this doctor picked me up and carried me into the elevator, accompanied by a nurse and my mother. And we went down to the basement of Sick Kids Hospital where all the x-ray rooms were. At least this is how I remember it. And that is where a new journey began for me. He had me covered with that special shawl that you use when you're being x-rayed and laid me on the table. All I remember when he picked me up was the sentence, let's go. And that begun a deep and kind and loving, yes, friendship with a physician who seemed so invested in my survival. And I use the word love as this bigger love, this deep, deep awareness, this deep knowing that I had a chance to live and walk. And I remember because, you know, with the infection that I had, a part of your bone has to be, the infected part of your bone has to be removed. So for some time, I had this deep wound right below my knee. It had to be packed every day. And even when I left the hospital, I had the wound. And it was packed by my mother and my brother and my sisters. My healing was collective. But when I was in the hospital, when I was in the hospital and starting to prepare for rehabilitation, it was hard. It was painful. A pain, I tell you to this day, if you put your hand on the scar where my, where, where the wound was, I have an immediate sensation and memory of that time. Learning to walk was so deeply painful. And I remember Dr. Salter standing in my room with the rehab specialist and another doctor and my mom. And my mother saying, it hurts her too much to move her leg. And him saying, but she has to do it. Because it is the only way that the joint will heal in a way that allows her not to have a limp. This is critical. And I remember him holding my hand and saying, Shay, Shay, you can do this. Well, there were about six surgeries after that. And I remember it was on the second surgery in Canada that right before I went into the OR, my mother was praying over me. She was a very prayerful woman. And she was holding my hand. And there was a window beside the bed. Beside the, the you know, where, we, where I was lying and she was sitting. And I remember that day when we opened our eyes from the prayer. The sun shining in so brightly. 
and I looked at my mother, and I squeezed her hand. I looked her straight in the eyes, and if she were here, she'd tell you the story. And I said without a flicker of doubt, "Mummy, I will be well. I will walk again. Mummy, please don't worry. I'm not worried. I have no doubt. I will walk again. I will run again." I remember that, not the date, but I remember the day, and I think for me, not only did my aunt save my life when she flew me to Trinidad, and my uncle saved my life when he gave me the blood transfusion, and my mother saved my life when she rode in on her plane—not <laughs> her plane, the public plane—when Doctor Salter decided. That I could be saved, my life was saved. But it was also me. There was something born in me that day, in that period, a coming of age, about being able to withstand pain, but also having a knowing. It was the beginning for me, I think, of understanding on a very deep level. That even in pain, you can be strong. That even in adversity, you can have a vision of something better and something greater. I think, when I was nine, the bones of strength were born in me. And whenever there is pain, whether it is physical or emotional. Or something's happening, like this crazy, insane pandemic. I know deep inside of me that we are stronger than whatever adversity is in front of us. The only thing that is final is death. But as long as we are here and we are living, there is the opportunity. To make and create and change and grow and see. So that year was a transformative year for me. It was a game-changing year. And a few years ago, I was being interviewed on the on the show The Current on on the CBS, CBC, CBS. That's America. On the CBC, and I told the story of my game-changing moment, the meeting with Doctor Salter, his commitment to myself and my mother, his compassion, and his his gestures of deep knowing and loving. Not as a parent or friend, but in this human way, in this way that I see you, I believe in you. I shared that story, and unbeknownst to me, in some great act of serendipity, two of Doctor Salter's four children, adult children, heard my story. 
in different provinces and reached out to me individually through an email, thanking me for talking about their father, telling me it was a gift to hear what he had done, that that's the man that they knew. Well, there was some connection between myself and these two people. And when you meet them, you'll know why. They are truly special in their own right. But part of why I wanted to share the experience of knowing them with you is that we have no business knowing each other. We are in different parts of this country. We never met when their father was alive. But yet I told a story and they happened to be listening and it connected with them and it touched them. And then they gave me the gift back of saying thank you. And then we discovered that we had some commonalities and what has grown is a respect and friendship that would never be predicted. And I think right now, I think right now, we need to be reminded that we are interconnected beings, that not only is our inner life important and our inner well-being important, but we impact the well-being of others, not just through touch, but awareness, talking, connection. So it is my honor, it is my privilege, it is my privilege to introduce you to two remarkable people that I met by accident. <laughs> and maybe not, but have impacted me in such a beautiful way. My friends, I have so many more stories to tell you, and I continue to be grateful that you're listening. Talk to you soon. Friends, thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. We are so grateful for your time. And I want to just thank my amazing team, Stacy Maynard and MCI Studios. We would love to hear from you all. So subscribe at Shea Marvale Podcast, Let's Talk.com and follow us on Instagram at Shea Marvale Podcast. Looking forward to hearing from you. Be well until next time. Bye for now.